chapter eleven rousseau and education according to nature by thomas davidson this librivox recording is in the public domain conclusion rousseau's influence the history of the world is the judgment of the world schiller let him the wiser man who springs hereafter up from childhood shape his action like the greater ape but i was born for other things tennyson in memoriam the history of mankind is a progress in the consciousness of freedom hegel having followed rousseau's educational scheme from its beginning to its last effects upon manhood and womanhood we have now to consider its value to estimate its moral bearings and to see whether it could properly lead to the results claimed for it that the influence of rousseau's ideas upon educational theory and practice was and is great no one will deny in education as in other things his passionate rhetoric and his scorn for the conventional existent as contrasted with the ideal simplicity of nature roused men from their slumbers and made them reconsider all that they had so long blindly taken for granted and bowed before and in so far his work was invaluable his bitter sneering condemnation of the corrupt hypocritical fashionable life of his time with its distorting debasing and dehumanizing notions of education and his eloquent plea for a return to a life truly and simply human and to an education based upon the principles of human nature and calculated to prepare for such a life were righteous and well timed his purpose was thoroughly right and he knew how to make himself heard in giving expression to it but when he came to inform the world in detail how this purpose was to be carried out he undertook a task for which he was not fitted either by natural endowment or by education his passionate sensuous dalliant and immoral nature prevented him from seeing wherein man's highest being and aim consist while his ignorance and his contempt for study science and philosophy closed his eyes to the historic process by which men have not only come to be what they now are but by which their future course must be freely determined and made him substitute for it a spurious scheme put together out of certain vague notions of history afloat in his time and certain fancies of his own vivid imagination thus his own temperament and the reminiscences of his own capricious undisciplined childhood led him to think that the child is a mere sensuous being swayed by purely sensuous instincts and inaccessible to reason or conscience and that these when called forth by social demands are marks of deprivation and badges of unfreedom his utter inability to conceive of moral life as a thoughtful adjustment of the individual to the universe and as a self-sufficient end for the attainment of which every sacrifice intelligently and voluntarily made is a gain and ought to be a joy made him on the one hand regard man as a mere plaything in the hands of a kindly but capricious god and on the other to represent him as the helpless victim of an inexorable necessity or fate wavering hopelessly between these mutually contradictory christian and stoic notions he never arrived at any conception of the true meaning of spiritual freedom or the true ideal of social existence his notion of freedom was almost purely negative and therefore both empty and unsocial he did not and could not see that freedom like intelligence and affection has no content save in a world wherein each individual spirit is through its own essential activity freely related to all other spirits and gradually perfects itself by ever richer deeper and freer forms of this relation he did not see that this process coincides with the gradual unfolding of reason and will as they differentiate and particularize themselves out of that vague affection or desiderant feeling which constitutes the undeveloped soul he did not see that even the first differentiation in the fundamental feeling involves consciousness and therefore reason and the first movement in obedience to one feeling rather than another the first stirring of selective conscience or will he did not see that the gradual differentiation of feeling into perceptions and volitions is the gradual creation of a world of beings in thought and will that things and persons are distinguished through an effort to group 
feelings and satisfactions by referring them to particular common sources and that apart from this process there would be no consciousness and no world at all in a word he failed altogether to see that existence is essentially social and therefore moral alien alike to caprice and to necessity as a consequence of this he failed to understand the true nature of education which is simply the effort to enable children from the moment they begin to use reason and will that is to distinguish one feeling and one attraction from another so to classify and group these feelings and attractions that an orderly self-consistent and rational world with a hierarchy of well-defined attractions shall gradually shape itself in their minds and make a rational and moral life possible for them in denying reason and conscience to the child he was denying it the very agencies by which its world is built up and in trying to isolate it from society he was depriving it of a large portion and that too the most important of those feelings or experiences with which these agencies have to work and so impoverishing the child's world the truth is rousseau himself had no rationally or morally organized world of his own much remained for him in the condition of almost brute feeling or emotion round which his fancy played in the most capricious fashion then when he attempted arbitrarily to introduce unity into this chaotic world he invented for the purpose out of old traditions sometimes a capricious and sometimes a necessary first principle neither of which could in the nature of things organize that world or give him any real freedom in it a mind like his incapable of reducing its world to clear visibility and transparent unity was naturally dependent upon its unorganized moods and was liable to pass from the most joyous optimism at one leap to the gloomiest pessimism this is the secret of his emotional deism of his sudden change from epicureanism to stoicism from spontaneity to authority in emil's education and of his oscillation between religious intolerance and the most complete liberalism footnote in the new eloise he says no true believer can be intolerant or a persecutor if i were a magistrate and the law ordained the burning of atheists i should begin by burning as such the first man who informed against another End of footnote the failure of rousseau to realize that education is the process by which a world of rational distinctions and ends is developed in the child's mind also closed his eyes to the fact that it must be so conducted that the distinctions made by the child form as far as possible a coherent self-explaining whole at every moment and that this whole shall be duly articulated as fast as it grows leaving no undigested clots of feeling or experience to baffle and stupefy the expanding mind as a result of this his educational system though divided into epochs is otherwise altogether disorderly and he is far more interested that the child should enjoy himself revelling in a present chaos of disconnected sensations and that he should know the joy of creating for himself out of them a rational and eternal world hence his frivolous and oft-repeated plea that the future should be sacrificed to the present for fear that the future may never come a strange enough caution for one who pretended to believe in immortality if that is a fact then surely all spiritual gains made by the human being at any period of his life will tell to all eternity no matter when he leaves this earthly scene and he can do nothing more recklessly foolish than forget the future in the present but in making this plea rousseau characteristically enough failed altogether to see that even for a child there is a much higher sort of enjoyment than mere capricious sensuous dalliance namely the enjoyment that comes from an orderly exertion of his will in view of an end and was utterly unaware that such exertion is the process by which all strong and consistent characters are formed we need not therefore be surprised to find emile arriving at the age of twenty so destitute of all ends and aims that if he were not watched at every moment night and day he would become an easy prey to his dalliant sensibilities a young man who has learnt to make the present subservient to the future by the exercise of his will in the continual pursuit of worthy ends and who knows the delight that comes from the attainment of these will hardly be so victimized it may perhaps be permitted to point out here that the great educational principle of introducing unity and system into life by completing the present with the future is embodied in the beautiful praxitalian group of hermes 
and the infant dionysus here we have the ideal tutor and pupil the elder god the perfect type of glorious young manhood carries the younger a highly intelligent almost mature-faced child on his left arm the child places his right hand on the shoulder of his guardian stretches his left out towards something probably a bunch of grapes which the latter holds aloft in his left and looks beseechingly into his face but hermes does not return the look or smile his earnest eyes have a far look in tempting forth into action the child's natural desires he is gazing not at the present but at the distant future this expresses the spirit of greek education whose patron hermes was as well as of all education whose purpose is to make strong wise determined men a very striking result of rousseau's sensuous nature was his view of women and of the education proper for them for him woman is never a spiritual being the equal of man in freedom and then to herself and entering into sexual relations by free choice for certain ends by her desired and approved she is merely a female the slave and instrument of man a creature whose whole being is exhausted in her sexuality her education therefore is merely the education of her sexuality and ought on no account to go beyond this rousseau's conception of women is one that has been only too common in france as in all countries where the muslim pseudo virtue of chivalry or external palaver in their presence has taken the place of that real virtue of inner gentlemanliness which regards women first as human beings endowed with all human attributes and rights and afterwards as women with special duties and privileges it is a conception which while pretending to elevate women into mistresses degrades them into slaves and deprives them of that dignity of freedom which alone imparts value to life if rousseau's character led him into manifold errors his contemptuous ignorance of philosophy science and history led him into many more thus in addition to assuming a relation of opposition between sensation and reason and thereby introducing a manichaean division into the individual man he placed a similar opposition between nature and culture and thereby broke the continuity and rendered unintelligible the course of social evolution worse than this having failed to recognize that all existence is essentially social and moral and regarding the unsocial submoral man as complete and self-sufficient he was bold enough to maintain that all social relations and all the powers intellectual and moral demanded and evolved by these are so many forms of degeneration believing that man was forced into sociability only by selfish motives and that society exists only to enable him to preserve as much as possible of his natural cyclopean freedom he continually holds up the state of nature in which man is a mere instinct guided animal living wholly in the present without plan or purpose as his ideal condition to be regained whenever possible footnote he has rare glimpses of a better view but they do not last End of footnote his whole system of education accordingly aims at rendering men unsocial and so might fitly enough be called unsocial education we need not therefore be surprised that emile never develops any social virtues other than those of the family and the kindly neighbor never engages in any social economic or political reforms and never looks upon social duties except as obtruding evils that in a culture perverted life must be borne with stoic indifference or resignation if owing to his defective character and acquirements rousseau's educational system is mainly false in presuppositions and aims it is still more so in method to train a being whose nature is essentially moral and whose life in so far as moral must consist in relations and dealings with free intelligent beings by the laws of brute necessity and force with the view of imparting to him the freedom of an automaton is surely the height of absurdity and the author of another volume in this series is entirely justified in calling the attempt a scheme as fantastic as ever entered the wayward mind of a madman to separate the child from his fellows and set him in a wilderness this scheme had its origin partly in rousseau's character which was essentially unsocial and impatient of moral regulation and partly in his false notions of the origin and uses of society to be sure if one does not care to learn to swim he need not go into the water but if he does wish he has no choice so if we wish a child to make his way safely in society we must bring him up in society familiarize him with its laws usages and meaning and train his will to relate itself freely to the freedom of other wills 
to make brute force the sole means of his education is to dehumanize him to make him an outcast from the hour of his birth if in spite of such treatment his human nature still asserts itself it will be in an altogether undeveloped form the child will be a dependent crybaby and stupid dupe at the age of sixteen and as such indeed emile is presented to us moreover since utter subjection to the control of necessity cuts off all possibility of control by self and leaves the child entirely determined from without he will have to be watched and tended all the days of his life and in case of need subjected to unblushing tyranny as we find emile to have been he never learns to distinguish between slavery and freedom for the simple reason that he never has any experience of the latter when one cannot tell slavery from freedom there is no heroism in bearing it footnote to regard indiscriminating apathy as moral heroism or to look for peace through the blunting of sensibilities is the height of absurdity macbeth malcolm disputed like a man macduff i shall do so but i must also feel it as a man this is the true heroism and the only one that is compatible with social life or individual nobility it is a chief task of education to cultivate keenness of feeling End of footnote. and no motive to throw it off men with emile's principles would accept slavery and oppression with stoic indifference or else revert to savagery and the struggle for concrete freedom that is freedom with a content of social relations as distinct from negative freedom without relations would come to an end but besides all these defects of presuppositions ideals and method inherent in rousseau's system it is chargeable with three others which are fatal one it is exclusive two it is impracticable and three it is immoral in the world for which rousseau however inconsistently paved the way all education must be universal accessible to every human being as such without distinction of class or sex now rousseau's system never laid claim to any such universality he maintains that the poor have no need of education and considers only the rich and well-born his system is therefore essentially exclusive aristocratic and plutocratic an education for kindly country squires or rural patriarchs living in the midst of thralls or serfs but even as exclusive it is utterly impracticable it would be impossible to find a man willing to devote the twenty-five best years of his life without reward to the education of one child even if that child were his own and if he could be found his self-sacrifice and his renunciation of all social relations and duties for the sake of one who might not live or might not develop to justify his efforts would be an insane act the world would not make much progress if every child required the exclusive services of a tutor for five-and-twenty years and even at the end of that time had not learnt to guide his own life again unless desert islands could be produced at will the isolation demanded by the system is impossible indeed we do not find that rousseau can dispense with society his emile attends fairs ice-cream parties and banquets and runs races for cakes with other children and such experiences are shown to be necessary parts of his education in all this rousseau forgot himself lastly a system which uses as its sole motive self-interest and that too frequently in low forms which estimates actions by their actual instead of their intended consequences and which continually practices pious fraud and dupery in order to reach its ends surely deserves to be called immoral and its acknowledged result upon emile who never rises to the dignity of a rational self-determining personality freely relating himself to a society of free personalities but always remains the victim of a sensuous capricious selfish epicureanism dashed with fitful blotches of gloomy fatalistic despairing stoicism crying like a spoilt child at one moment and posing as a prometheus bound the next fully bears out this judgment gathering up in one glance the various defects of rousseau's social and pedagogical theories we can now see clearly the false assumption that lay at the bottom of them all it is a very common and widespread error and is fatal wherever it occurs it consists in assuming that the later and higher stages in evolution are to be explained by the laws that manifest themselves in the earlier and lower and must be made to square with these it throws forward the darkness of the earlier upon the later instead of casting back the light of the later upon the earlier thus it continually tries to explain human nature by the laws manifested in subhuman nature and insists that man should go back and allow himself to be governed by the necessary laws of the latter footnote 
it is hardly necessary to say in these days that the notion of necessity corresponds to no fact that we know nature reveals regularity but not necessity End of footnote. in other words as the fatalistic stoics said this is the sum and substance of rousseau's teaching in sociology ethics and pedagogy it is the sum and substance of much popular teaching in all departments of theory and practice to this day and yet nothing could be more misleading more fatal to progress the acorn does not explain the oak but the oak the acorn the meaning of the acorn is revealed in the oak and the meaning of nature in culture nature professor james tells us reveals no spiritual intent of course it does not so long as you arbitrarily exclude from nature its highest manifestations but include these and you will see that they are what all nature has been tending toward from all eternity in a word culture is the meaning or intent of nature and we shall never know the full meaning of the first and lowest step in existence till the last and highest has been taken each to-day reveals the meaning of all yesterdays and contains the free promise of all to-morrows the problem of life is not to make man live according to nature but to make nature live according to man or in less ambitious phrase to elevate the natural into the spiritual man blind instinct into rational freedom rousseau's system therefore exactly inverts the order of nature and progress it advocates the descent not the ascent of man footnote aristotle who never falls into the common error calls the oak as the meaning of the acorn the what it wasness of it we may say of the acorn when we see the oak that has sprung from it oh that's what it was the republic of free spirits is the what it wasness of the lowest form of life End of footnote to sum up in so far as rousseau laid bare the defects and abuses of the society and education of his time and demanded reforms in the direction of truth and simplicity he did excellent work but when he came to tell how such reforms were to be accomplished he propounded a system which from a social and moral point of view has hardly one redeeming feature and which is frequently in glaring contradiction with itself it is pure romanticism in spite of this it has been given to few men to exert with their thought an influence so deep and pervasive as that of rousseau this influence due to the fact that he took the motions which were toiling in the gloom of the popular mind of his time and made them flash with the lurid lightning of his own passion before the eyes of an astonished world extended to all departments of human activity philosophy science religion art politics ethics economics and pedagogy in philosophy this influence is very marked kant has told us that he was roused from his dogmatic slumber by hume and this is true but after he was roused he drew his chief inspiration from rousseau footnote he is said never to have omitted his afternoon walk but once and that was when he got absorbed in the new eloise it is difficult to understand this nowadays End of footnote. the germinal thought of the critique of the pure reason expressed in its opening sentence is to be found in emile book four these comparative ideas greater less as well as the numerical ideas one two etc are certainly not sensations though the mind produces them only on the occasion of sensations the critical philosophy is but a generalization of this we have already seen that kant's three postulates of the pure reason god freedom and immortality are simply rousseau's three fundamental tenets of natural religion kant's ethical rigorism with its ungrounded categorical imperative owes much to rousseau's spasmodic stoicism while his theory of taste as laid down in his critique of the power of judgment clearly has its roots in rousseau's definition of taste it is hardly an exaggeration therefore to say that kant in his three critiques does little more than present in philosophic garb the leading doctrines of rousseau but as has already been shown rousseau had occasional glimpses of truth that lay altogether beyond kant's range of vision footnote i cannot think of any better compound to express the irrational will to believism of such recent writers as drummond balfour kidd and james see cecil pseudo philosophy at the end of the nineteenth century it is needless to say that agnosticism and philopistism philopistism are respectively but the emotionally pessimistic and optimistic aspect of one fact the despair on the part of reason of solving its own problems a despair originally born of rousseau's intellectual sloth End of footnote. can be traced back through kant's unknowable thing in itself and undemonstrable postulates to rousseau's emotional subjectivism the result of rousseau's influence upon philosophy has been to discredit human reason to replace it by infectious emotion and to pave the way for a return to obscurantism and superstition footnote 
Goethe, as we shall see, overcame the influence of Rousseau. He puts many of his teaching almost verbatim into the mouth of Mephistopheles and of Faust in his dark days. End of footnote. The same thing is true of his influence upon science, although this, thanks to the fact that science, wiser than philosophy, takes due account of the sensuous content of thought, has been less marked. The results of science are proof against emotional prejudice and take no notice of contempt. It was specially to Hegel and his school that this part of Rousseau's influence passed. Hegel spoke with undisguised contempt of physical science and constructed philosophies of religion, right, art, etc., out of his own brain philosophies which science has silently converted into warning examples his thought has almost been forgotten in the land of its birth and many of his works have never had the honour of a second edition in religion rousseau's influence has been incalculable supplementing and in some ways counteracting that of voltaire while voltaire and his followers were applying a robust but rather coarse common sense to the ancient word-castles of religious dogma and reducing them to heaps of crumbling ruins rousseau was trying to construct a simple cottage out of a few moth-eaten sticks rescued from the general wreck by covering over with a thin papering of varnished sentiment the result was the savoyard vicar's confession of faith a frail enough structure not fit for human habitation save in the mildest weather it nevertheless proved widely attractive at a time when men having lost faith not only in religion but also in reason as interpreters of life were fain to look to sentiment and romance for help rousseau's emotional faith became the religion of many men in his own time of a large party among the french revolutionists robespierre st just etc and of millions of pious but uncritical souls afterwards it contributed important elements to the neo-catholic renaissance in the latin countries and to the protestant reaction in the germanic as well as to english and american unitarianism it is the determining element in the extensive theological movements initiated by schleiermacher and richsoll and is perpetrated in thousands of learned books down to our own time when it forms the chief element in religion taking the place of dogma and so bidding defiance to the results of criticism higher and lower thanks in great part to rousseau religion has in our time become a matter not of spiritual insight and subtle conviction which in their nature are universal but rather of sentiment and emotion which are necessarily individual it was a great misfortune for france as well as for the world that when changes in life and developments in science made a new attitude in regard to religion necessary the matter should have fallen into the hands of two such men as voltaire and rousseau who being equally without profound knowledge philosophical acumen and moral firmness were utterly unfitted to deal worthily with it the one pulled down with the tools of scornful wit and insidious persiflage the other built up with the nervous ineffective hands of romantic sentiment and dalliant emotion the result has been on the one hand an irrational paralyzing scepticism and on the other an enfeebling voluptuous mysticism both equally favourable to superstition and to neglect of moral life between these france has been suffering depletion and exhaustion for over a hundred years in art and especially in literature rousseau's influence has from his own days to ours been almost paramount throughout christendom indeed modern art and literature with their fondness for the picturesque the natural the rural the emotionally religious the analysis of sentiment and the interplay of passions and their rebellion against the stiff and the conventional may almost be said to date from rousseau there is no room here to trace his footsteps in the studiedly rural cottages and picturesque half-wild parks so common in europe and america in the landscape paintings genre pictures and pictures of pathetic or religious emotion that fill our galleries or in the nature groups and sentimentally posed figures that delight the majority of our sculptors but we must follow them here and there in the paths of literature on which they are everywhere to be found in france in germany in england in italy in greece in scandinavia in russia as to french literature in the last hundred years it is soaked in rousseau's teaching from beginning to end its form and its matter are alike due to him its simplicity its clear and effective style its frequent glittering superficiality its morbid pathos and insincere virtue its outspokenness and lubricity are among its debts to him bernardin de st pierre and madame de stal lamartine and de vigny chateaubriand and matal lambert saint-anne and de maitre marimé and michelet de musset and georges jean victor hugo and balzac dumas and eugène sue sylvestre and de senecourt cousin and renan tin and saint-beuve bouget and zola copé et loti gautier and amiel with hundreds more are all his disciples he is the parent alike of the neo-christians and the decadents of the romanticists and the realists 
it may be added that his influence has been far greater than voltaire's when we turn to german literature we find almost the same condition of things the storm and stress period in germany is mainly due to the ferment caused by rousseau's teaching it affected her greatest geniuses goethe and schiller kerner and von kleist goethe at first completely succumbed to it as we see from such works as the triumph of sentimentality and the sorrows of young werther but his strong nature in time threw it off and turned to a healthy classicism nevertheless its traces appear in all his works especially in his lyrics many of which rousseau had he been an artist might have written and after all faust is only a grown-up emil breaking away from faith and culture and entrusting himself to a bad tutor while wilhelm meister is an emil with no tutor at all schiller was still more deeply and permanently influenced his lyrics are full of rousselian nature pathos and emotional religiosity while his robbers that chaotic drama of wild revolt might have been written by rousseau indeed rousseau's lachrymose sentimentality and emotional prodigality seized upon the german people like an epidemic and long affected for the most part injuriously both its life and its literature we can trace them in kerner and kutzboo in the von kleiss and schlegels in the humboldts and grimms in fichte and schelling in the wallis and richter in heine and ruckart in lanau and platten in freitag and auerbach in hesse and spielhagen in fanny's lewald and joanna ambrosius and in many more in england rousseau's influence upon literature though all pervasive was in the main beneficial the english bee sucked the honey and rejected the poison for the most part only becoming occasionally dizzy with the opium of nature mysticism under the influence of rousseau the poets of great britain broke away from the monotonous aphoristic stiltedness of pope and his school and returned to nature and simplicity burns whose debt to rousseau was very great and lady nairn led the way they were followed by keats shelley and byron southey coleridge and wordsworth Footnote. keats came nearer to rousseau in intensity of feeling for nature than any other man and he was of finer texture wordsworth that uttered nothing base was in all but moral infirmity a thorough-going disciple of rousseau he even followed him in his mystic feeling for nature and his confusion of the tenderly emotional with the ethical hence such sheer nonsense as this one impulse from a vernal wood may teach you more of man of moral evil and of good than all the sages can if this be true let us abandon all sages and all books and sit at the feet of some vernal wood wordsworth is full of such beguiling untruths what for example could be more untrue than that the child is father of the man or that our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting his whole emotional pantheism so dear to sensuous dalliers is rousselian and immoral to the core in the footnote lee hunt and the brownings carlyle and ruskin footnote the resemblance of these two men in different ways to rousseau is very remarkable the one inherited his contempt for civilization the other his love of nature in the footnote clough and tennyson morris and swinburne dickens and thackeray george eliot and mrs ward on the other side of the atlantic they were followed by longfellow and lowell whittier and emerson apart from american differences the last is the most loyal disciple that rousseau ever had his patriarchal country life came as near as possible to rousseau's highest ideal and their whole view of the world and of their relations to it were very much the same both loved nature and felt inexpressible mystic meanings in it both preferred solitude and felt that society was in conspiracy against the freedom of the individual both were pantheists and in theory stoics emerson's essay on self-reliance would have delighted rousseau both avoided social ties and political life both believed that man is essentially good and will develop best if left to give free expression to his spontaneity both believed in an oversoul of which man is merely a partaker and to which he ought to lay himself open in passive receptivity both scorned consistency and sought to draw the most from each passing mood both were averse to consecutive logical thought and sustained scientific inquiry and the list of resemblances might be added to indefinitely but emerson was a puritan italian literature did not escape the universal contagion the writings of leopardi and foscolo manzoni and Desaglio, carducci and constanza rapisardi and d'annunzio not to mention ada negri and many others are all more or less inspired by rousseau there is no room to speak of the literatures of greece scandinavia and russia but what is true of the others is equally true of them ibsen for example is rousselian to the core in his contempt for society in its hollow soul-corrupting conventions it is almost superfluous to speak of rousseau's influence on politics practical and theoretical he is the father of democracy the french revolution was in very large degree his work while repressive respect for authority in life and thought was relinquishing its hold under the inexorable lash of voltaire's bitter tongue rousseau was passionately calling upon the men thus set free to rise up cast off their loosened chains and claim the freedom with which god and nature had endowed them and live thenceforth in liberty equality and fraternity 
his passion prevailed and france rose in blind fury bathed herself in blood and lighted a conflagration that burnt for thirty years when at last it was quenched in blood europe hardly recognized herself she looked the same but she felt that she was not the same authority in the old sense had been burnt away and a green crop of freedom was springing up in its place what this meant neither france nor the other nations of europe have yet learnt but they are learning and they are learning also that most important of all social lessons that no revolution inspired by such irreverent and passionate motives as those furnished by voltaire and rousseau can fail to bring destruction and woe which only the gentle slow-moving hand of reason can wipe away if the american revolution was due to the spirit of liberty inherent in the english people the formulas in which the declaration of independence was couched were largely drawn from rousseau when its framers demanded life liberty and the pursuit of happiness for every citizen they were speaking in his language their calmer natures formed for political freedom enabled them to avoid his sentimental exaggerations and to make provision for it but his influence helped to make them forget that every declaration of independence needs to be supplemental by a declaration of interdependence as a result we are too fond of political isolation and too prone to individual isolation as a people we are slow to recognize our duties to other peoples as individuals we are sadly deficient in public spirit and in loyalty to what our constitution stands for the hand of the unsocial rousseau is still heavy upon us carrying us back to savagery upon political theory the effect of rousseau's teaching has been so great that he may fairly be called the father of modern political science though that science in its progress has shown most of his positions to be baseless it is none the less true that these have formed the centre of all political speculation for the last hundred years he gave wrong answers to the questions which he propounded but these questions were just the ones that required to be answered the social contract does not lie at the beginning of social progress but is the end to which it forever tends hovering between two equally immoral systems epicureanism and stoicism and having apparently no experience of free will rousseau developed no ethical system nevertheless his views were not without effect upon subsequent ethical theories his notion that we have a sense for good just as we have a sense for smell a notion which takes morality out of the region of reason and will altogether has found many followers among sentimentalists while his doctrine that man should not seek to rise above the laws of necessity but remain an automaton has found favour with all those who have sought to interpret culture by nature instead of nature by culture his insidious glorification of sensuous dalliance has naturally found a response in all dalliant natures in the sphere of economics rousseau's influence though great is quite different from what he expected though entirely averse to socialism and anarchism he was in large degree the parent of both they arose from the spirit of his teaching rather than from his teaching itself in his remarkable article on political economy written for the encyclopedie he points out the danger of looking upon society as an organism most strongly defends the rights of private property and justifies the state in imposing taxes it is certain he says that the right of property is the most sacred of all the rights of the citizens more important in certain aspects than liberty itself whether because it is more closely connected with the preservation of life or because property being more easy to usurp and more difficult to defend than person ought to be more carefully respected or finally because property is the true foundation of civil life and the true warrant for the obligations of citizens for if property were not responsible for persons nothing would be so easy as to elude one's duties and defy the laws the first thing which the founder of a commonwealth has to do after laying down laws is to find a fund sufficient for the support of magistrates and other officers and for all public expenses this fund is called orarium or fisc if it is in money public domain if it is in land and for obvious reasons the latter is far preferable to the former a public domain is the surest and most honest of all means of providing for the needs of the state though holding this he does not object to taxation merely insisting that it shall not be imposed except by a vote of the people but when he inveighs with bitter scorn against the venality and corruption of public officials and maintains that it is one of the most important functions of government to prevent extreme inequalities of fortune not by taking accumulated wealth away from its possessors but by depriving them of the means to accumulate it and not by building hospitals for the poor but by guaranteeing citizens against the chance of becoming such he accepts the fundamental principle of socialism which naturally calls forth its opposite anarchism and principles have a vitality far beyond the will and intent of him who propounds them moreover rousseau's stoicism is virtual socialism while his epicureanism is virtual anarchism as could easily be shown it ought to be added that one of the noblest and most conspicuous traits 
in rousseau's character was unfailing sympathy with the poor and oppressed involving hatred of their oppressors and it is this sympathy and this hatred which his example did much to make common that have respectively caused the socialistic and anarchistic movements of this century finally in education the influence of rousseau has been powerful beyond measure he may fairly be called the father of modern pedagogy even despite the fact that most of his positive teachings have had to be rejected comenius locke and others had indeed done good work before him but it was he that first with his fiery rhetoric made the subject of education a burning question and rendered clear its connection with all human welfare the whole gospel of modern education lies in such passages as this it is from the first moment of our lives that we ought to learn to deserve to live and as at our birth we share in the rights of citizens the moment of our birth ought to be the beginning of the exercise of our rights if there are laws for man's estate there ought to be laws for children teaching them to obey others footnote it is needless to note that this teaching is utterly at variance with that advanced in Emile. and seeing that we do not leave each man's private reason to be sole judge of his duties we ought to be all the more reluctant to hand over to the notions and prejudices of fathers the education of their children that it affects the state more than it does them it would have been well had rousseau clung firmly to these ideas of rousseau's educational demands perhaps only three have been responded to one the demand that children should from the moment of their birth be allowed complete freedom of movement two that they should be educated through direct experience and not through mere information derived from books three that they should be taught to use their hands in the production of useful articles but certain others of his notions lingered on for a time much to the detriment of education and were with difficulty shaken off it is needless to say that his doctrines influenced all subsequent educators among these the first important and influential name is that of his countryman pestalozzi this genial saint undertook to reduce to practice what rousseau had preached and even went so far as to isolate his own son for that purpose having discovered the folly of this and therewith the futility of rousseau's exclusive education and being moved with pity for the condition of the labouring classes sunk in helpless ignorance he set about evolving a plan whereby this ignorance might be removed and the poor rendered self-helpful thus his sympathy for the common people led him to a course altogether different from that recommended by rousseau who held that the poor required no education the truth was that though pestalozzi started with the same point as rousseau their ideas of education were diametrically opposed rousseau regarded education merely as a means of protecting its subjects from the corruptions of civilization and securing for them as much as possible of their natural liberty whereas pestalozzi looked upon it as a means of enabling men to live a social and moral life but as has often been said pestalozzi was a sentimental philanthropist rather than a philosophic educator he was more anxious that his pupil should learn to make an honest living than that they should be harmoniously developed spiritual beings and hence he directed his chief efforts to the former end he responded to rousseau's three demands and followed him in his emotional religiosity but he developed no educational principles or methods based upon the nature and ends of the child his crowning merit lay in seeing that nothing can help the people but education and in demanding that this should be made universal his example too inspired others to do what he could not among these others the most notable and effective were herbart seventeen seventy six to eighteen forty one and freebel seventeen eighty two to eighteen fifty two herbart a philosopher who having revolted from the formalism of kant had betaken himself to the study of psychology was apparently just a man to supply what perzolazzi had omitted and indeed in his own way he did so setting out with a metaphysical somewhat leibnizian conception of the soul as a monad he tried to show by what process in its endeavour to preserve its existence against other monads continually impinging upon it and invading it it gradually through successive apperceptions built up that complex of ideas which made its world rational and enabled it to lead a moral life such life in active relation with subhuman nature and with society conceived to be the end of all education in this he was undoubtedly right and his system may almost be said to be diametrically opposed to that of rousseau unfortunately his academic formalism and want of experience betrayed him into a metaphysics that was purely fanciful having no foundation either in dialectic or in experience and into a psychology that was to the last degree mathematical materialistic and mechanical ideas are treated as forces which may be compounded and whose mechanical relations and resultants may be stated in mathematical formulas with such notions he could of course arrive at no conception of a free will or any true morality Footnote this comes out with striking clearness in his notion of requital which he thinks is an ethical one End of footnote. to him will is nothing more than the mechanical resultant of his idea of forces 
footnote herbar's psychology has found many disciples lazarus steinthal fechner wundt etc and a frenchman m fourier has written a book entitled les idees force but in spite of these serious drawbacks which tend to make education a mere mechanical process herbart's contributions to the science of pedagogy were most valuable and lasting Freebell, the prince of modern educators may be said to have been a pupil of pestalozzi's he too undertook to do what the latter had omitted namely to work out a system of pedagogical theory and practice based upon the facts of human nature and calculated to enable it to reach its fullest realization being an ardent student and somewhat dreamy lover of subhuman nature he was like rousseau prone to a kind of mystical nature pantheism which seriously interfered with the effect of his work tending to render it sentimental instead of rigorously scientific this trait has communicated itself to many of his followers and done much mischief in spite of this freebell did more than any other man to work out a scheme for the gradual orderly and healthy development of the powers of the child with a view to rendering him a social and moral being a worthy member of the commonwealth of men and of the eternal kingdom of god like herbart freebell held that a moral life was the end of all education alongside pestalozzi herbart and freebell must be mentioned among the disciples of rousseau a man far less known than they but well deserving of careful study by all educators antonio rosmini cerabati this eminent thinker one of the greatest of the century derived his knowledge of rousseau mainly through the writings of madame necker de saussure which he greatly admired protected by his catholicism from pantheism and entirely free from sentimentalism rosmini elaborated a scheme of education on the basis of his own philosophy according to this the human soul is a substantial feeling rendered intelligent by having presented to it as object ideal or universal and undetermined being this is at first the sole object and constituent of its consciousness in the process of experience the fundamental feeling which constitutes the subjective aspect of the soul is modified and at the same time the indefinite object being is determined in this way there gradually arises in the soul a world of feeling referred to being as substance and cause in proportion as this being is defined through feeling we see the truth or god for ideal being is but god undefined since all reality is feeling and all ideality god unrealized morality consists in so ordering our feelings that they shall gradually define god for us and thus make us partakers in the beatific vision however strange and mediaeval this spiritual mysticism may seem it enabled rosmini to work out a scheme for the orderly development of a divine world in the consciousness of the child a scheme which has very great value even for those who cannot accept his presuppositions being superior to those of herbart and freebel in many important particulars unfortunately it breaks off at the end of the fifth year of the child's life and we cannot but regret that a man so eminently fitted by natural temperament education and psychological and philosophic insight for pedagogical research should not have been spared to complete his work footnote besides the incomplete work above referred there is a volume of essays on pedagogics by rosmini parts of which well deserve to be translated End of footnote. to give an account of all that educators that have been influenced by the teaching of rousseau would be to write the history of modern pedagogy enough has already been said to show the nature and extent of that influence and to show how it has been modified and in very large measure counteracted as one reads emile he is sometimes tempted to believe that rousseau wrote it merely to maintain a thesis which he did not believe but wished to see discussed and threw it down as a gauntlet to challenge a world which had lost all real interest in education and compel it to defend if it could its own practice whether so intended or not this has certainly been the effect of the book it has made men attempt to defend existing systems of education and finding that they could not resolve and endeavour to discover better ones and better ones have been discovered we are gradually gaining light with regard to the nature and capacities of the child and getting a clearer insight into the means by which they may be unfolded and the destiny to which they tend we now know that instead of being an unreflective and immoral automaton up to the age of puberty he exercises intelligence and conscience in rudimentary forms indeed from the hour of his birth and so we conclude that he is to be governed from the first not by the law of necessity but by that of freedom and righteous love footnote herbart wrote essays on the freedom of the will at fourteen End of footnote. but for all this there is still much to be done in the sphere of education we have even now no scientific theory of pedagogy and the reason is that we have no scientific theory of human nature we are still distracted and blinded to the truth on the one hand by certain traditional conceptions that once formed part of a view of the world economy long since rendered unbelievable and obsolete and on the other by certain modern philosophic prejudices of a dualistic sort of for which 
kant is in the main responsible the former make us still inclined to believe that the soul is a created substance beyond the reach of experience a transcendental monad possessed of certain fixed faculties and capable of being trained only in a certain definite direction to a fore-appointed end the latter make us believe that it is a bundle of categories empty thought-forms existing prior to all sensation or experience and conditioning it in either case we are irrationally induced to regard and to talk about the soul as something other than what by experience the only source of true knowledge we know it to be and thus to build our educational theories upon a mere chimera footnote this does not mean merely what is called sense experience but includes all the intelligible phenomena of consciousness even metaphysical ones End of footnote. there is not one fact in our experience going to show that the soul is either a substance or a bundle of categories indeed when subtly considered these words are absolutely without meaning when we ask what we know the soul to be we can only answer a sentient desire or desiderant feeling which through its own effort after satisfaction gradually differentiates itself into a world or which is the same thing gradually learns to refer its satisfactions to a world of things in time and space feeling is primary ideas or differentiations in feeling are secondary exactly the contrary of what herbart believed the world that we know whether material or spiritual is entirely made up of feeling differentiated by ideas the end of education therefore can be none other than the complete satisfaction of feeling by an ever-increasing harmonious that is unitary differentiation of it into a world of sources of satisfaction this satisfaction will be greater in proportion as the sources are more numerous and richer hence every soul will be consulting for its own satisfaction by doing its best to satisfy every other soul and to make it as rich as possible thus the most perfect egoism will be found to be one with the most perfect altruism and the law of virtue to be one with the law of blessedness as in the end it must be unless all existence be a mockery on this view of the soul and on this alone will it be possible to erect an intelligible and coherent structure of education intellectual affectional and moral end of chapter eleven end of rousseau and education according to nature by thomas davidson